Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Leading in healthcare is incredibly challenging. So if you are looking to learn firsthand from nurses, physicians, administrators, and other healthcare professionals in leadership and management roles, this is the podcast for you. Hosted by Leah Wuchik, leadership development expert, executive coach, healthcare professional, and president and co-founder of Tall Trees Leadership. We talk with today's successful healthcare leaders on how they get to where they are, lessons learned along the way, and what it takes to thrive as a successful leader in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Wuchik. Corey Jenks earned his Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of South Carolina in 2011. Since then, he has practiced as a retail pharmacist, outpatient clinical pharmacist, and inpatient clinical pharmacist. His current practice is as an ambulatory care clinical pharmacy specialist, where he applies his passion for lifestyle interventions in the management of chronic disease. In addition to his career as a pharmacist, Corey is also an accomplished improv comedian, having started on his comedy journey in 2013. Since then, Corey has coached, taught, and performed improv for thousands of people. Today, Corey travels around the country speaking and teaching other healthcare professionals how to apply the valuable skills of improv comedy to create a more adaptable, empathetic, and humanizing healthcare experience. Corey lives in Tucson, Arizona with his wife Cassie, their two children, and 10 chickens. When he's not caring for patients or making people laugh, Corey enjoys harvesting rainwater, playing racquetball, basketball, and golf, and exploring the science of disease management through lifestyle. Corey is currently working on his master's degree in dad jokes with the help of his two sons. Hello, Corey. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing dandy and yourself. I'm doing really well. Uh, thanks so much for being here at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. Um, listen, I know we've been trying to make this happen for some time, so I'm glad that today is the day. Uh, I was thinking we could just start off with uh, you sharing a little bit about your background and what you're all about. Certainly. So I am a pharmacist. So if anyone listening has ever gotten a call from their pharmacist demanding that they have a an indication on their Tylenol, that is me. So I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I've been a pharmacist since 2011 down here in uh, Arizona, and uh, I did I did my pharmacy school in South Carolina uh, out here in, in in the states, and then ended up back home in Tucson, Arizona. And so I'm a pharmacist, pretty general, a lot of pharmacists out there for 11 years. Uh, but I also am an improv comedian. So. A very rare of all the pharmacist comedians you could have had on, you had me on. So I appreciate that. So uh, my, my background is in addition to being a practicing clinical pharmacist, I am also an improv comedian, an author and a speaker. And so I've written a book about the application of, of improv to healthcare because I'm a pharmacist. So I take comedy and nerd it up a bit, put it into a book, but it's really helped kind of guide me as, as a clinician. And so I'll uh, I go on podcasts and talk about it. I write about it and I go speak about it as well. And it's really 
Uh, it's been an incredible experience seeing the shift in myself and others who take the lessons of, of being an improvised comedian and, and take them into healthcare. Awesome. I mean, it's definitely an unusual combination. And I definitely want to hear more about the improv and how that mm-hmm. came about. But first, mm-hmm. what drew you into pharmacy? So I, in my junior year of high school, I, my chemistry teacher asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to be a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. And she says, <laughs> I've seen you play and you're not going to be that. So what are you really going to do? Have you thought about pharmacy? You're pretty good at chemistry. You seem to like it. And so I, I had a family friend that was a pharmacist that was back in the heyday when they wouldn't let you retire and kind of looked into that. And actually, my mother had back surgery. And the f- person that helped her most with the pain control after the procedure was the pharmacist. So oh, wow. at 17 years old, I was like, I'm going to be a pharmacist. So I, I decided very early on and, and went uh, went and did two years of pre-pharmacy and went right into pharmacy school. So it was, it was mostly driven by... Practical. I was very practical as a 17-year-old. I had a little bit more frontal lobe development than most most people <laughs> my age. It's like someday I'm going to have to work and earn a living, and it seemed like a pretty good way to earn a living. And uh, it was applying the enjoyment I had in in science and chemistry. And so that's that's the boring story. I, I it's not the people who wander around and try to find a career. I 17 years old kind of picked my path and went to it. That's pretty amazing because at 17, I know for myself, I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going. So I I think that's a pretty interesting story. And what do you love about pharmacy? I think the my favorite part about pharmacy, it's not the drugs. It's not the, certainly not the Krebs cycle because I don't remember that. For <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite part of pharmacy is the relationships that I've built. Uh, the relationships I'm able to build with my patients. Uh, I work in an ambulatory care clinic, so I do diabetes management mostly. So it's that recurring uh, patient interaction that I get that I really value. And then developing that trust and relationships with my coworkers as well. Um, I had a recent job change. And so leaving one institution to go to another, you really begin to understand the, the impact that you've other people have on you and you hopefully have on them in a positive way. And I think that pharmacists get a really cool opportunity uh, in, in certain settings and what I've been blessed to work in to, to have to to have those nurtured relationships uh, in addition to the, the work we do. And I think, I mean, the part I, I also love about pharmacy is when I get people off their meds, I'm kind of weird. I, I do comedy and I, I want people on the fewest meds possible. So <laughs> my favorite day is when I stop insulin on, a, on a, someone who has type two diabetes. So, wow. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the, the, the love of the profession comes from the utilizing of the lights of the medicines and focusing on relationships. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I know speaking from my own personal experience, but also my professional experience is that I have really leaned heavily on pharmacists um, to, you know, fill me in on what I need to know and, and help me out. So I can definitely hear the passion around the relationships that you've built in that process. Mm -hmm. Tell me about improv. Where did that come from? So yeah, it's I got it. Many many layers to the Corey Jinks onion, apparently. So uh, <laughs> improv is something that I had always had an interest in comedy. I watched a lot of Saturday Night Live. I watched a lot of Simpsons episodes. Was quoting it back when you had to like watch a show when it actually came on instead of like putting it on your DVR or watching it, you know, binging it on Netflix or something. You had to watch it the day it came out. So a lot of Monday mornings quoting from the the weekends episodes or whatever it might have been. So I always enjoyed that. Um, And then there was a show whose line is it anyway. So they people do improv there. And when I was an undergrad, there was actually an improv comedy group 
Um, and then for those who are not familiar, improv comedy is just a form of comedy where everything is made up on the spot. Uh, so any number of different formats. So just we're all on the same page. And there was a improv group at our uh, when I was in, in school, I went to a show, was blown away. I thought that is so cool. So naturally, what did I do? I waited six years until I finished my pharmacy school <laughs> and my residency to get into. I was, again, very, very practical, which I've kind of broken out of a bit of with, with what I'm doing now, which is led to a more interesting life. So I always had that interest. And then I finished my residency in 2012. And my now wife, then girlfriend, was, I had a birthday coming up. It was our first birthday. She had to get me something. And I had this amazing thing called time that I <laughs> had free time in seven years. Yeah. So I was like, I want improv classes or guitar lessons. And if you've heard me, if you'd heard me play the guitar, you'd know that I did not go that route. So I just mm -hmm. took it. I took a class, loved it. Uh, took a few other classes in the theater here locally was new. And so it was at a point where like, if you had a pulse and had been through class, you could perform. Fortunately, I, I checked both those boxes and just started performing. And at the time, my wife was in grad school for becoming a nurse practitioner. So she was so busy with school and still working. I had free time every night. Like every night, I, I joke, I got my comedy master's degree uh, for about three or four years. <laughs> I was just down at the theater, performing, coaching, teaching, and, um, you know, really immersing myself in, in the craft. That's pretty amazing. Um, I am familiar with the show, Whose Line Is It Anyways? And... Mm -hmm. One of the things that strikes me is that improv could be really scary. The idea of making things up on the spot um, for me is pretty intimidating. Mm -hmm. So when you started it, I'm curious to to hear what was kind of the the fears or the worries or were you all in right away? So it's interesting you say like that fear of the of like you don't know what to say. You have to make it all up. I, and I kind of say this with a sort of comedic slant, but I had spent six years memorizing drugs and interactions. I've spent six, so much time memorizing to be able to go up and do a thing where I didn't have to memorize anything was like free for me. Think about like, I didn't have to memorize anything. Um, and as far as like, and there is that level of like fear of public speaking, fear of getting in front of people. And I've always, I don't know, in pharmacy school, especially, I felt very comfortable presenting. I I kind of frame it as instead of being nervous about talking in front of people, I get to present on this thing I'm an expert on. And so I'd always had this little bit of an itch to like be in front of a group. So I found that getting in front of people was, was pretty easy. The, the times I had the biggest fears on stage is when there are people I know in the audience. So I can get in front of a group of strangers and feel as free as possible. Uh, but if my parents are at a show or I have like coworkers there, I get more self-conscious because they have this idea of me as Corey, their son or Corey, the pharmacist. And now I'm going to be doing, you know, whatever happens on stage. And it's very different than what they are maybe used to seeing from me. That's really interesting. This idea that uh, your identity is is looks one way for a certain person or a group of people uh, mm -hmm. maybe looks a little bit different uh, in terms of their perception of you. Um, yeah. I I can really appreciate what you're saying about this idea of it being very freeing. Uh, mm -hmm. I certainly can, I certainly know that being a pharmacist is a lot of work. It's very hard and there is a lot of memorization. Um, mm -hmm. So it makes a lot of sense that you did find improv as freeing. Now, as a pharmacist, I'm curious to know, like, what are you seeing as the current state of things? What's tough these days? 
What's up with pharmacy? Oh, yeah. man. How long is this podcast? 30 minutes? 45? <laughs> you need, I, I could talk for, for days about that. Well, I think there's a number of things that are tough as a pharmacist. And I, you know, I'm here in, in the United States, so we everyone's healthcare system is a little different. I think that one area of pharmacy that's challenging is the just demands, uh, especially for folks that are working in community pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do not, I have not, I have not worked in there that arena in about 10 years, but I know that it is stressful is it, you're expected to go fast. You're expected to be perfect. And so I think that's, that's an area that's challenging. Um, I think that students have never been smarter coming out of school. Like you're never more educated, but I think that there is this idea that like I've been through school, so I'm ready to go. I'm ready to interact with the public. And for a lot of pharmacy students, I'm saying like pharmacy, being a pharmacist is like their first job. And like, that's really hard to, to develop all of those other like skills you need as a team player, uh, the, the boring word, soft skills, uh, t- to be a functioning member of a healthcare team. Um, and then I also like, there's, there's lots of pharmacists and there, there, it's kind of been this like evolution where there was not enough pharmacists. So we have a lot more pharmacists and then there was not enough jobs for all the pharmacists. And now it's sort of swinging back the other way. It's, it's much more, uh, it's, it's less scared, daunting to be a new grad to go looking for new work. So, you know, there's, boy, like I said, I could go for, for a long time on all the different mm-hmm. issues with pharmacy, but there, there's a lot of challenge. And I, I think that you're going to see a challenge in any healthcare professional. I'm a wife's nurse practitioner. She has her own set of challenges, but on a, on a day-to-day basis too, you're dealing with sick people at their worst, uh, not, not judging. Like when you're sick, like we, we both, we both had sick kids recently. Uh, we're, we're at the end of our wits end. Uh, people are sick. They're frustrated. They've been dealing with a, a tough healthcare system, maybe. And so you're, you're dealing with personalities that are, that had very little patience and you're trying to do something that could be very dangerous if done, if rushed. So all of those things together can, can make this profession a challenge for sure. Mm. I think you're absolutely right in that we could probably talk about the challenges all day long. <laughs> I know that you wrote a book called Permission to Care. For what was the drive behind that? Yeah. So, so my book, Permission to Care, Building a Healthcare Culture that Thrives in Chaos, the, the drive there was... I was a frustrated pharmacist at the beginning of my career because I thought I was going to have all the answers. I had, I, I had done, I, you know, you eat your farm D. I did a residency. I got board certified. I got another board certification. I got so many letters after my name. It's like the, the kids are learning the alphabet. They get confused with all the letters after my name, mm-hmm. but I would still get frustrated with, with the curveballs that patients throw us, the curveballs that administration could throw us because we're not taught to adapt. We're taught to follow guidelines. We're taught to do X, Y, and Z. I, I was drawn to pharmacy very early in my life because I thought, well, it's a very black and white, cut and dry profession. You go A to B to C to D to get your farm D. And so the drive for this came as I started to perform improv, I started to utilize some of the skills that I did on stage with my patients. It became less of an, oh my gosh, what are they going to say? And more of a, oh, this is just this is just a game like improv. There's rules. There's there are certain things we have to follow, but within that, anything can happen. And so as I got more comfortable with my patients because of my, my comedy training, I realized other healthcare professionals could use this. Uh, not a judgment. Like we, we have pharmacy attracts a certain type or we're very left brain type A uh, accountant type of people. Um, and so how could, how could I help other pharmacists? How could I help nurses, doctors? take the lessons that I've learned and apply them in their own practice to go from being frustrated and nervous to being more at ease with all the unknown. Um, and then quite honestly, in 2020, something called COVID happened. And so we had a lot of time at home and I'd had this idea. I'd been writing ideas down for months and years. 
it's like, well, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, so, yeah. so I, I was like, what's well, and we had a, a kid come in, in June of 2020. So I was like, all right, I have a deadline for myself before he gets here. Let's write this book uh, and get it out there. And so I, I wrote my first manuscript there just to, cause I had the time and wanted to make the most of what was a challenging situation, which was, which was what improv is. We, we look at things as gifts and not challenges or problems. So I saw it as a gift to have the time to write a book. And so I did. That's a really beautiful approach to thinking and to life, actually, in a lot of ways, this idea that things are gifts, not Mm -hmm. challenges. And it's really, I would think about your perception of them and uh, what you see in it. Now, I definitely want to hear some of those lessons um, that you referred to earlier. But before I go there, you mentioned about you started to apply these principles of improv with your patients. Mm-hmm. What was the change that you saw happen? I think the, the change that I saw happen, so I mentioned one of my most uh, enjoyable parts of pharmacy is relationships. Uh, and I think that what I saw happen was I stopped seeing these patients as a hypertension diagnosis, a diabetes diagnosis, a prescription number. And it was really started to, to warm up and connect with people on a more personal level. And when patients are able to connect with me or when they were able to connect with me on a more personal level, when I was able to adapt and kind of figure out what made them tick because I was listening to them and not worrying about exactly what the perfect drug regimen would be because that would come based on what they were telling me, I I I saw them relax more. And I instead of, and when and whatever I would have a patient that was frustrated or upset, instead of me wondering like, oh, why can't they just not be so upset? I would empathize with them more, more effectively. I would see things through their eyes more effectively. And because of that, the, the, the situations where, you know, we put the air quotes, you know, problem patients became not problematic for me. They just became an opportunity to, to, to overcome a challenge. It was less, to use the word, less scary. We're in October, so it's a spooky month. Things were less scary. The unknown was less scary. And when you're less scared, you're able to relax and be in the moment and be more of yourself and you know, just see, treat people as, 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 as a person to person rather than that kind of cold healthcare system can, can often be. In that, I definitely hear the element of humanizing the other person um, mm-hmm. and, and the experience becomes more human um, mm-hmm. as opposed to, as you said, a prescription number or a task to do or a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. And I also hear an element in that of authenticity and mm-hmm. able to come to the table more as yourself. Would you say that's true? Oh, definitely. And I, I love that idea of authenticity and truth. Um, comedy, there's the, the, like the first book on improv is literally called Truth and Comedy. And so I think where, where I come from as a comedian is, is the best comedy comes from a place of truth. Um, we, we heighten absurd realities and healthcare is full of absurdities, uh, as anyone who's worked <laughs> in it can see. And so with patients, instead of pretending that their reason for being upset doesn't exist or that it's, it's their fault, I would often just agree with them because I was working within a system that made me frustrated too. You know, if they say, I, you know, I've been at a, a different facility within the same organization and got these drugs, why can't I get them here? And yeah. instead of saying, you know, because it's the rules, I would say, yeah, it's really frustrating. I don't want to be doing all this work too. Uh, and it kind of human, like, yeah, you connect and, and you're just honest with them. Like, if, if, it's okay to tell your patients that you're frustrated too. It's okay to tell your patients that I can't get you this continuous glucose monitor and it's just, instead of saying, that's just too bad, just say, I get this question multiple times a day and it drives me crazy that I cannot get you the tools that you need to manage your diabetes. Mm-hmm. And they 
while still frustrated, will then often just be like, oh, okay, this guy gets it. He knows it sucks for me. It kind of sucks for him. We're on the same, same, same team fighting the same tr- tough system uh, together. You know, it puts, puts you on the same team versus fighting each other. That's a really interesting comment about uh, becoming part of the same team because you're absolutely right. Everyone is frustrated. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the practitioners that are part of the healthcare system, they're frustrated. The administrators are frustrated. The patients are frustrated. The families are frustrated. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that need to happen to alleviate or even start to address some of that frustration. But what I'm hearing you say is there is a sense of if you can acknowledge it together, there is a connection that is built through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you kind of uh, we we when we teach a comedy class, people assume that like the best comedy comes from conflict. Um, but when people go to a comedy show, they don't want to see people fighting. We we fight we you know we're fighting all day with you know with, with institutions with family with friends like there's conflict all the time we want to go see people like having fun and so instead of fighting each other we we say we turn the argument out towards the man and it puts you on the same team so instead of when we're, we're trying to heighten and make make go deeper in a comedy scene if you're fighting you can only get angry at each other and that's like not very fun but if you're heightening the difference between what you would like work to look like and what it actually is that can just become funnier with how crazy and ridiculous the the things that you're trying to overcome are. Right. You mentioned earlier about the lessons of improv and and how they can be applied to healthcare leadership and and healthcare work in general. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some of those lessons? Easiest easiest pop quiz you'll ever have are two words. It's yes and. Um, Yes and are the basic fundamental, it's the basic fundamental rule of improvisation. And it just means that we agree and build together. And while we literally can't say yes to everything as you know, in a, in a, from an administrative side of things, from a, from a healthcare side of things, building, I think what I consider a culture of yes is super important because while you might not be able to do the thing the person wants, you can say yes to at least listening, which is way better than what we get a lot of the time. Uh, for years, like I had wanted to telework and my boss would at least say, I hear that you really want to do this. And right now it's just not the right time. Instead of saying, no, it'll never happen or no, we can't do this, they acknowledged that there was forces beyond them that couldn't do it. And then at one point we were able to do it. So it kind of made me feel more heard at least. Um, and that goes into listening. It's, it's, I mean, listening is we literally start doing it from the day we're born, but we do it so poorly. And so to be a great improviser, you have to be able to listen in the moment to that other person. If you are thinking of the answer in your head already and think of times if you're listening, you've been to the doctor or you have a significant other and you go to them with a problem and you can already tell in their head that they're thinking of the answer versus listening to what you're saying. So taking these lessons, you can really help people feel seen, heard, and understood. Um, other lessons to take away, improv is a team sport. So if people, I tell people I do improv, oh, you must go up there and you, you do stand up and tell jokes. Like, no, I'm, I'm on a team. So we're a team in the service of entertaining and making, making comedy. Well, healthcare is a team sport too. Uh, there's a lot of parallels to that. And so I think oftentimes we get in our silos, nurses, pharmacists, doctors, dietitians, administrator, we dig our heels into our team. And that is not the team we're playing for because the winning in healthcare is taking care of the patient. It's not getting the most money for your budget. It's not getting the most glory for your particular discipline. But I think when we we don't do teamwork, the person that suffers is the patient. 
So uh, we had um, also touched on empathy before, but empathy is really looking at things through someone else's eyes. And a great improv scene is, is where we find out someone's why, because I can't literally think of everything about a character in a scene ahead of time or in the moment, but I could be a character for 20 minutes. And if I know that they just want people, someone to notice their haircut, everything I'm doing is filtered through that why. Well, we need to do that with our patients, with our employees. Like, why are they coming here to work? Why does why aren't they checking their blood sugars? If you can figure out that why, then we're going to get into the root of what can make them tick and what we could find a solution for. And then, I mean, for me, it's like, I also do comedy. So I, I try to keep things light because healthcare can be very dark and depressing at times. Mm-hmm. So if we don't take ourselves too seriously and some of the things that we deal with too seriously, it just helps for, at least for me personally, coping with, with a lot of those challenges. All really good lessons. And if I may say, these lessons are things that we should know or do intuitively, but clearly we're not doing as healthcare leaders and and practitioners and, Mm -hmm. and professionals. So what's getting in the way of it? I think it's just the ingrained healthcare culture that that we inhabit from previous generations. It's things are done a certain way. So they're done a certain way. So we keep doing them a certain way. And that's part of that culture of yes, because I I don't think that we are open to new and different ideas. I mean, it took 25 years for us to accept hand-washing. Like if you go back to the 1800s with the the doctor that was like, we're delivering babies and a lot of them are dying. Maybe we should wash our hands after we touch cadavers. Mm -hmm. He was like laughed out of medicine. And yeah, that's the 1800s. But you could look at examples from every era where someone comes up with a different idea and the initial reaction is to dig into the status quo and really make that person who or entity or an organization has a different idea think like that's a terrible idea well how we gotta look at how things are going uh if they're not going well then you need to be more open to those different ideas and so we get very entrenched into our own ways i also think we're just not teaching this to to people you know you say these are important lessons i agree we're not teaching this to, to providers to practitioners to leaders um we get through healthcare training and it's very rigorous mm-hmm. um I can say that my personal pharmacy school never taught me improv. I have taught improv to some pharmacy schools. So there is some acknowledgement of the need to not just make pharmacists robots. Like we have to have you know, <laughs> humans with beating hearts and ability to listen and care, but we, it, it should be intuitive, but if you don't practice them, it's like any skill, you're not going to be good at it. Like I've had 10 years now of doing improv. So I've had 10 years and thousands of hours on stage of just practice after practice of doing scenes and then taking it into my practice with my patients with thousands of patients. And if I have this, these ideas in my head and I'm consciously working on them, I'll get better at them. But if we're not reminded of them, well, we all get busy with our own stuff we have to do. So it's, it's no, like, you're not going to just magically be a better listener. You, these are skills that can be taught. And I've, I, I've taught them to thousands of, of healthcare professionals as well. And I've seen the change and it's kind of like, it's like talking with you. You're like, they're like, Oh, it's like an aha of like, Oh, should be doing this already, but we don't. Mm -hmm. So, but if you don't take the time to acknowledge it and practice it, it it won't change. I think you bring up some really good points. Uh, The piece that really resonates with me is this idea of being taught some of these skills and also providing the space and opportunity to practice them. And part Mm -hmm. of that is being reminded to practice them. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things you talked about was that culture of yes, and that phrase, yes, and and mm-hmm. I think that's such a beautiful phrase. And I think about my in my entire career as a nurse, and I, I worked in many different practice areas, mm-hmm. that was never something that was in my mind. I learned that much later when I became a coach, 
because we operate with that premise of yes and. Mm-hmm. And I think how valuable would it be for someone to be able to say that and to operate um, and practice within that context? It's pretty powerful, the idea. Yeah. Well, and when you're bombarded with no all the time, like healthcare is full of no's, right? Can I get this drug covered? No. Can I have more time with my patients? No. Like our default answer is no. So when I started doing my classes 10 years ago, it's like, oh my gosh, I get to go here for two and a half hours and people have to say yes. Like mm-hmm. it's, 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 it was so freeing and liberating, but I, I think part of, you know, you ask why we don't do this more. I think one of the other things that is ingrained in us as we're trained is perfection, right? We're dealing with health. This is serious. We can't mess up. Well, where are we, like when we practice these skills, you're going to mess up. So can you create a culture where there's an acceptance of some, some places to, to have a little bit of a slip up and like, obviously not clinically like with the patients, but slip ups with, with building these skills. And I, when I, when mm-hmm. I teach improv to people, I, I kind of say that it's forced adversity because it's very uncomfortable for people to get up in front of others and try to make people laugh or do some of these games and exercises. But what I always notice is that they're smiling as they're doing this uncomfortable thing. And because they have that freedom, it's a, we create a, a very positive, encouraging, safe space for people to, I tell them like, this is not with your patients. There's no, there's no mistakes. Say whatever happens, the biggest consequence is nobody laughs. And that's not a very bad consequence. I've dealt with it thousands of times when I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've uh, told a joke or done a scene where it did not land and I am fine and you will be fine but you will be better for, for, for putting yourself through a little bit. It's like lifting weights, right? You, you're breaking down muscle to build it up. Well, you're going to be breaking down some of your own personal habits and biases, but then building them back to have these great skills that you're going to be just much more effective with your patients and colleagues. Hmm. I find that fascinating what you're saying around needing to break down some of those old habits and biases. And I think part of it too, is maybe breaking down our beliefs um, Mm -hmm. as well, because we hold on to a lot of beliefs, as you mentioned uh, about ourselves and where we work and what our work looks like and all of those pieces. And Mm -hmm. in order to change, change for the better, um, we do need to break those down. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's hard. Like we don't, want to do that. We, we get into what's comfortable, even if it's, you know, even if it's not most effective. And so like when I approach this, like this book, when you read Permission to Care, it is, I, it, it is meant to be funny and fun and informative. Like these are, these are not heavy. Like we deal with heavy issues enough in healthcare. So the book mm-hmm. is not meant to be heavy. Improv is not meant to be heavy. It's meant to give you the tools so that when those heavy moments come, you are much more resilient and strong and tough enough to, to provide either the love, the humor and the care that is needed in that moment. And so like, it's hard enough to break down something that's uncomfortable. So I try to make sure it's fun while we do it. Like it, it, even though it's a serious business, again, I don't like to take things too seriously. And so you can have a, a job where it's really tough, but I think we've all worked in those situations where like, if you're on a great team, you can get through any what, um, because you have a a great group with you. And this is what these skills can build is, is build that team where, you know, I don't mind going into this job. That's going to be hard for eight, 10, 12, 14 hours, because I know everyone on this team has my back. And that's literally what we say when we go on an improv stage, we tap each other on the back and say, I got your back. Mm -hmm. And so imagine if you went into a hospital with your team and we did that, or we, we at least felt like that's what it was. Because it would make it would make make a tough job a whole lot less tough and a lot feel a lot more supportive. Yeah, I kind of love that idea actually of starting the day with a, a statement around "I've got your back." 
I mean, that that seems incredibly empowering to to do that for someone, but also to receive that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think the times I've I've had my toughest days is when you feel like you're alone on an yeah. island, whether it's in the pharmacy, on the floor, in your office, like it it feels terrible. So when you feel like you're on a supportive team, no matter what challenge is going to come, you're going to band together and do that. And again, improv helps you practice being a good team member. And so that, but that powerful feeling of feeling supportive and having that support for others, like it's, it's like you said, like, these are things we should already be doing. It's so intuitive, but we don't do them great. And so if you literally have that physical action of tapping someone on the back and saying, I got your back, like, it feels good. You Like you talk about how, date, how, how scary it can be to go on stage. It's a lot less scary when you know you got a great group of people that are just going to be there to have your back. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely uh, hear that. So I'm curious, Corey, when you wrote your book, Permission to Care, what did you learn about yourself through that process? I learned a few things. I think I learned that I love writing. Uh, I I never sat down to write and felt like, oh, I have to do this. Um, or at least I learned that I was writing about some, the right thing because uh, I, I loved writing about it. The word, like it came very, I hate to like to, to those who've tried to write a book before and it felt like a slog. The writing part was, was fun. Um, so I learned, I love writing. Um, and which is why I continue to write regularly elsewhere too. Um, I learned that putting these ideas down really helped reinforce what I was doing with my speaking, with what I was doing with my patients. Um, it helped me focus down and look, look more into the background, the literature, the evidence, and, and make me feel more confident in what I was speaking about and what I'm talking about with you today. Like I have proof of concept in a book that says, Hey, this, this stuff works and it's fun and it's doable and it's a low barrier to implementing. Um, I also learned that I do not like the editing process of a book. (laughs) Uh, but I, but I learned how to check my ego because I worked with a wonderful publisher, uh, Mandela tree press. They had great editors. The editing process was humbling to hear, you know, you put your heart and soul into writing a manuscript and they're like, well, this whole section does not need to go out to the world. I'm like, okay. And and then just putting yourself at the, and having never written a book before, I really relied on the, the editors and the experts to guide me. And I'm very pleased with the final product. There's nothing where I'm like, mm, I wish I could have done that. Like I have a couple sections I took out of the book that, if, you know, any of your listeners want to contact me, if you get the book and you'd like the bonus sections, just let them know you heard me on the podcast and I will send you the, the too hot for the book or the cut sections. But, um, you know, it, it, I think learning to, to, to be humble and take criticism. And the last thing I learned is that my wife should not be an editor of anything I write. Uh, she, <laughs> she, we had like the last stage of editing is like, look for spelling errors and any final spelling or grammatical errors. And I was like, Hey, how do you want to you know take, check that out? And she starts like giving me all these notes about moving stuff around. I'm like, no, we can't, this is not the stage for that. It's like ready to go. And so it got me all in my head. And we realized that um, we will, she will not be editing any future books of mine. So, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was still fun to have that uh, support from her. Yeah. Yeah. Fair and fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, those lessons, uh, uh, particularly about checking your ego uh, with mm-hmm. the editing process, it strikes mm-hmm. me that that's probably a good life lesson in general. Totally. And it's a lesson I've learned on the improv stage. Uh, yeah. Improv itself is a team sport. Some, sometimes you get the punchline and sometimes you get the setup. And I think that's, I mean, I didn't mention that lesson of improv as applied to healthcare and leadership, but yeah, giving up the glory for the service of the team 
um, and, and realizing that we don't always have the best answer ourselves, but if we can set someone else up for success, that's the same thing as us having success. Cause if that, if that organization wins, if the patient wins, uh, then who cares about that ego? Um, like l- listen, write, writing a book and, and seeing the number of books I've sold and I've sold more than I thought I would, but it's not nearly a, a bestseller list book yet. Um, it, it's humbling and you, your, your ego could say, oh, you're, you're just not a very good writer, but the reality is it's, it's our writing and marketing a book. So, um, I believe in what I read, have written and have fun going and talking to folks about it like yourself and, 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 and giving those lessons out to the world. So what would you offer to the listeners as, um, a takeaway or takeaways for their leadership? I think that the biggest takeaways uh, from the book, from our conversation today, We'll keep it simple. Rule of threes, that's the kind of a comedy rule. So first one is that is yes and. So use that with your employees, with your team members, with your patients and in life. Now, does it always mean literally saying yes? No, it does not. You know, if it was yes, I could give, I would say, give me a hundred Percocet, Corey. Well, okay, well, here's hundred Percocet in my license. You can take that away too, right? Um, but it means saying yes to listening to them um, because what they're asking you is trying to tell you something whether it is that specific item that they're asking for that they get, there's uh, there's always a root cause or something deeper beneath that, that request or that question. So try to default to yes, say yes to more things in your life. Um, I found that as a left brain pharmacist, I've been open to writing a book, to getting on stage, to trying comedy, and it has opened much more doors than, than that default of no. So say yes. I think the next one is listen and be in the moment. So we talked about the, the, the works great for spouses and significant others. Try not to have that answer pre-chambered in your head. Uh, be in the moment and let everything that you answer to somebody be informed on what they are saying to you in that moment. Uh, we're healthcare professionals are smart. You are all smart people. We try to smart our way out of a problem, but try to listen your way out of a problem uh, because I think that's the that's the biggest thing there. And then the last one is uh, I'll, I'll leave it light. Try not to take things too seriously. Um, people. We'll say, Corey, you're a comedian. You just like tell jokes to your patients all the time. I'm like, when the situation calls for it, yeah, we, we joke and laugh. But, um, you know, using using that humor and keeping this light in the, in the right moments. Uh, if someone comes into my office, live it about, say, a pain medication. It's not the time for a knock-knock joke. It's time for me to sit down and listen to what their complaint is. And then if things go well, we'll end with a joke at the end. Uh, but but try, try to not take things too seriously. It's a serious business. Everyone's, you know, bur- burnout, resilience, really hot topics. The way I've kind of navigated it is to to take a, you know, put the patients first, be professional, but we don't have to be so serious. Like I had someone at a, a at a, an event, I was doing a workshop and she commented like, this is the first CE I've gone to that I've smiled because we're just still expected to be so rigid and professional. I'm like, it's kind of sad. Like you should yeah. have some fun. You should be able to enjoy yourself while learning or practicing. So keep it light. Don't take it too seriously. Uh, listen and say yes and. Beautiful. I think yeah. those uh, pieces of wisdom are really powerful and can um, really make a big difference for people and aren't difficult to try out. Like yeah. people can just try that out tomorrow or today mm-hmm. and see see where it takes them. Yeah, it's a low barrier to entry, but a high return on investment. Yeah. So I, inf- I encourage all of you to go and apply that. And if you're scared to do it at work, do it with a loved one. <laughs> start, yeah. start, I mean, I've had, I've had people who read the book and said, I started using yes, Sam with my family. And it was like a magic, magic spell. I'm like, yeah, 
it's pretty cool, right? Uh, so so listening and saying yes can can go a long way with the this is they're referring to their spouse and their kids. So it was really cool to get that feedback when people read the book and are able to put it into action or listen to the podcast and put it in action. It's all good. Yeah, absolutely. So Corey, if people want to find your book or uh, learn more about you or track you down, where can they do that? I think the best place to go is my website. It's coreyjanks.com at C-O-R-Y. Uh, my parents were cheapened in by an E in my name. So C-O-R-Y-J-E-N-K-S.com, <laughs> a little uh, wheel of fortune humor there. Uh, and from there, uh, you can go and find all of my social channels. I'm on LinkedIn. So I love connecting. Uh, LinkedIn's probably my favorite social media uh, channel because it's the, I don't know, everything else makes me, uh, grabs my attention too much, but I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. But LinkedIn's a great place to connect professionally. And then my book, it's sold by this little uh, little tiny mom and pop shop called Amazon. So uh-huh. you can find permission <laughs> to care there on Amazon. And you can get there from my website. And then I also have a newsletter I write on Substack called Get Through, get Through Your Shift. And it's a three, three times weekly newsletter that is meant for healthcare professionals to give you a little knowledge, inspiration, humor to get through your shift. So if you're like, if you've read my book already and like, I need more Corey content, it's there. And if you're like, I'm not paying you a penny, go to Substack for free and, and read what I write and preview. And if you like that, um, when you sign up for that, you'll get a chapter of the book too. Thank you, Corey, so much for being here today. It was a really fun conversation. And I really hope people check out your book and check out your newsletter as well. So this was super fun. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, Leadership and Healthcare. Also, if you liked what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our host, Leah Woodchick, check out talltreesleadership.com.